0: Hi, and welcome to Fast Talk Femme with Dee, Dee Barry and Julie Young. In this episode, we'll be discussing ketone use, the hype, the potential performance benefits, and the possible drawbacks for endurance athletes. Our guest is Dr. Peter Hespel, a Belgium-based researcher and biomedical science professor who has published five scientific studies on ketone use in endurance sports. Peter obtained his PhD degree in Biomedical Sciences at the University of Leuven, Belgium, and since 2001 has been teaching courses in exercise physiology and sports nutrition to students in human movement sciences, physiotherapy, and sports medicine. His research primarily focuses on the regulation of muscle energy substrate metabolism during exercise and training, and nutritional strategies to enhance recovery, training adaptation, and performance in endurance athletes. For more than 20 years, Peter has worked with elite athletes in training and competition for the Belgian Quick-Step Pro Cycling Team and for the Belgian Cycling Association. He also works with a wide range of Belgian Olympic athletes in different sports disciplines, primarily cycling, triathlon, and track and field. Translating science from the lab to the field is his passion. In this episode, we have the opportunity to dissect and discuss five of Peter's studies on the various ketone applications. These studies are considered the gold standard in ketone research. In this discussion, we dispel the myths and the hype surrounding ketone use, as well as identify potential benefits of their use in specific situations or specific populations. Peter also shares his knowledge on how world tour cycling teams such as QuickStep are using ketones to aid recovery. Welcome to Fast Talk Femme.
1: In The Future of Coaching, which is the last module release of The Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, we envision what the future of coaching looks like in the years to come. While artificial intelligence will play a critical role, AI will never completely replace coaching. However, leveraging its attributes to find the right balance of personal connection with automated tasks will be vital to remaining relevant with future generations. Check out the Craft of Coaching Module 14 at FastTalkLabs.com.
2: Hey, Peter. Welcome to Fast Talk Femme. Our introduction barely scratched the surface describing your illustrious career as a researcher and scientist and your contribution to sports science. But can you give us a little bit of an overview of what you've been up to recently?
3: Yeah, sure. First, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. It's uh, nice to be in and help you out with some questions about the ketones to introduce myself i have been a professor at the university of leuven for unfortunately a very long time means i'm getting old since more than 30 years and my research was mainly directed to looking at how one could improve endurance exercise performance by nutrition and promote training adaptation by using the best possible nutrition. So we have been doing work on creatine, beta alanine, carbohydrates. And the latest one is the ketones that emerged since, I think, the first publication by the group of Oxford in 2016. I heard at that time the nutritionists from Team Sky on a congress hearing some or giving some hidden information about the use of ketones in the team. And that's what triggered something in me that I had to do research on that, and it never stops until today.
2: Well, as, as we were chatting offline before hopping on to this recording, there's been quite a bit of conversation about ketones and has generated a lot of curiosity. And then especially like as we were chatting, you know, you hear these super teams like Yumbo visma supposedly using ketones, but, you know, we don't know how they're implementing ketones into practice. And now it's becoming more apparent just through your studies that there are nuances to how and when ketones are used. So in this episode, we wanted to go straight to the source to get a better grasp on ketone use and and chat with you, Peter, since you are one of the foremost researchers on ketone use and endurance sport, and your studies have focused on its various applications, we thought one of the best ways to provide a clear understanding of what ketones can do and cannot do would be to dissect and discuss in chronological order, five of your studies in which you studied different applications of ketones. And for me personally, after reading your series of studies, one of the things that I found interesting was that ketones may improve performance, but in more peripheral ways and perhaps less obvious direct ways than have been promoted by the ketone industry. I also found it interesting that in some of your studies, you had these unexpected yet significant findings, not necessarily related to ketones, but findings that could potentially improve training methods, which I thought was super exciting. So I am personally really looking forward to this conversation today.
3: Same to me. So please uh, launch your questions and I will be very happy to try to give a straightforward answer that's interesting your public.
2: Okay, here we go. So I think to kick things off and to set the stage, and I know this has been covered in other podcasts, but I think it's important to help our listeners understand the difference between endogenous and exogenous ketosis and the various options available for exogenous ketones.
3: The difference is that when we talk about endogenous ketones, it refers to the production of ketones by our own body without the ingestion of any external supplement. And the liver is able to metabolize fatty acids, and one of the main fuel sources during exercise. So the liver can convert it into ketone bodies. And these ketone bodies can then serve as an energy substrate in the body. But that only happens in some very specific conditions. Two nutritional interventions that can increase the use of ketones, endogenous ketones in the body. Uh, The easiest one is just fasting. If you stop eating very rapidly, the carbohydrate stores in your body will get exhausted. But especially your brain needs glucose for energy metabolism. So very early in a fasting period, the brain would get in problem if there were not the ketones produced based on fatty acid conversion in the liver. So when you stop eating, the liver will start producing ketones, and that's hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. And the brain can use that really as a perfect primary fuel in replacement of glucose. Second intervention to stimulate the endogenous production of ketones is the use of a so-called ketogenic diet. And the ketogenic diets also, maybe I have to say, unfortunately, have become very popular in society and also for some time in endurance athletes. And what you do then is just eliminate most of the carbohydrates from the diet and replace them mostly by fat and protein. So the amount of fat you eat is dramatically increased. You increase the availability of fatty acids in the body and then deliver also starts to convert some of the fatty acids into ketone bodies. And that's why it's called a ketogenic diet. Because the supply of fatty acids is so high that the liver starts producing ketones. And also in that condition, probably the brain starts using some of these ketones as an energy substrate. Unfortunately, I think there is substantial evidence now that such a ketogenic diet impairs endurance exercise performance. Because you eliminate the carbohydrates from the diet, you deplete the muscle glycogen stores, and you impair carbohydrate metabolism in the muscles, which is essential for endurance exercise performance. Then the next thing is what are exogenous ketones. This refers to raising the ketone body level in the blood without interference of production of ketones by the liver. So you just use a supplement that increases the blood ketone levels. And the first supplements that have been used are the so-called ketone salts that combine hydroxybutyrate mostly with sodium, potassium, or calcium. And then at some point, University of Esther has launched ketone monoesters, which allow to very rapidly increase the ketone body concentration in the blood. And these ketone supplements, which are exogenous, have become the most popular because these ketone monoesters, in fact, are the only ones that are able to substantially and rapidly increase the ketone body level at rest, but also during exercise.
2: What have you found generally about... I know with ketone ingestion, there's an association with gastrointestinal distress. And what have you found generally about that and, and ketone use?
3: I don't think gastrointestinal problems are a problem with ketone ester ingestion. What is true with the ketone esters, I don't know if you have ever tasted them. Have you? No, I haven't. Taste is absolutely disgusting. Okay. It's extremely bitter and disgusting. And if you don't like that taste, you may get nausea just by the taste. But in individuals that have no problem by just putting it in the mouth and swallowing, we very seldom have noticed gastrointestinal problems at rest and not even during exercise. So gastrointestinal problems would not prevent from using ketone esters before or during exercise in the vast majority of individuals.
2: Maybe it was the ketone salts that I was thinking about.
3: Ketone salts is the problem, and there the problem is not the ketones, but the salt. If you ingest high amounts of sodium, you would very rapidly get diarrhea. And because most of the ketone salts are bound to sodium, if you ingest a high amount of these ketone salts, you ingest a high amount of sodium. And that's uh, what causes the gastrointestinal problems. And probably also a reason why it is impossible with the ketone salts that are currently available to ingest sufficient amounts to significantly increase the ketone availability in the blood. And if you are unable to increase that sufficiently, there's no chance to improving performance.
2: I remember reading your studies and it seemed like in, in every case, like if there was some sort of potential for positive, the blood ketone level had to reach a certain threshold. And I think you had mentioned like there's certain brands of exogenous ketones on the market that are more reputable or they have, I think, a higher quantity or I guess they're higher quality. Can you comment on that?
3: Yeah, I I sure can. Uh, Maybe first respond to the the threshold level. Uh, What we are actually missing in the ketone research is what we would call uh, perfect dose response curves. That means we still need to look what is the optimal dose of ketone esters, for instance, to use to induce the best possible effects during exercise and training. And in all the research we have been doing, we didn't want to take the risk to use a too low dose because these studies are extremely expensive and extremely labor intensive. So what you do then is take a dose of which you say, if that doesn't work, it's never going to work. So we used pretty high doses, and that doesn't mean that with lower doses it could not work, but there's absolutely no evidence. And at present, the only ketone supplements that are able to substantially increase the blood ketone concentrations. It's one type of ketone monoester that has been, there is discussion on who has invented it and and it has been patented. I know some people are fighting around it, but it's a ketone monoester that has been patented by the University of Oxford and that is being distributed by two companies. In the United States, it's ketone eight and in the United Kingdom, It's T-Deltas that sells the Delta G. And they sell, in fact, exactly the same product, the same type of ketone monoester. And all the studies with positive results have been done with these products, either from the UK company or from the US company, and from all the other ketone supplements on the market. There is absolutely no evidence that they can ever work in exercise and training. There are no studies. The only thing we know is that with the other supplements that are available and that are being vastly marketed anywhere in the world, it's impossible probably to raise the blood ketone level to a concentration that is needed to have valuable or to say worthwhile effects on exercise performance or training adaptation. So it's easy to make a selection if you ask me which ketones work, We only know about one type of ketones sold by these two companies I have mentioned. The other ones, no evidence. I wouldn't spend my money on it.
0: So Peter, the monoesters used in your studies that you led, they were all that monoester that you were referencing? Sure. From the University of Oxford?
3: Yes. Okay. Or from ketone 8. We have used both. Yeah. And you get exactly the same results with both products. Yeah, And there may be some minor difference in the way of production, but in the end, in exercise and training, it's it's the same. We also have checked the purity of both products in our toxicology lab at university, and we got a green light for both brands.
0: Yeah, that's good to know. So Peter, we'd like to dive into dissecting and discussing the five studies that you co-authored in chronological order. So first, I'd like to dissect the ketone ester supplementation blunts overreaching symptoms during endurance training overload study. And if you could give us just a brief overview of the study, what it entailed, and then your expectations going into it versus the actual findings.
3: Okay. Maybe I can first just say why we did that specific study at the start of our ketone campaign is because... When you are in a fasting state or like a hunger strike, it's in fact the ketone bodies that make you survive for such a long time. So it's a kind of alarm substrate that is being produced in the body when there is a lack of energy, and that continues to provide some energy to make the brain and other tissues survive in the absence of nutrition. And in these conditions, you get in a catabolic state. This means that your body starts to have net breakdown of proteins and fat and carbohydrates because no energy is coming in anymore. And because of my involvement in elite cycling, when you see elite cyclists at the start and at the end of a grand tour, they are also in some sort of catabolism because the exercise load, they had to or they got during the three weeks is so hard that you see catabolic events happening in the body throughout the Tour de France. Yeah. And the ones that win a Grand Tour are the probably the ones with the best talent and that are, have the best potential to recover and avoid that catabolic state. And that's where come in the ketones. If the ketones can reduce a catabolic state during fasting, maybe we thought they can reduce the catabolic development during a Grand Tour. But you cannot do such a study in elite cyclists. So we simulated a kind of Tour de France in our lab with much less trained cyclists. But they came to our lab for three weeks and we made them train on like swift training, on well-calibrated ergometers twice per day, six days per week for three weeks. And at the end of the three weeks, they were completely empty. And half of the participants after each training session and before going to bed in the evening, they received the ketone monoester supplement. And the other half, they got a fake product. And we saw that as the training progressed, the participants in the fake supplement group, they were more and more unable to continue the prescribed training program. Whereas in the ketone group, they could just continue, do everything we wanted them to do. And they also performed better in a time trial after three weeks in a long endurance test. And on average, the improvement in endurance performance was about 15%. So to us, that was clear evidence that when you really bring people who participate in very intense endurance training and you bring them to the utmost end of exhaustion in training, you recover much better with the ketones. So that's a very specific situation that also occurs in Grand Tours because the exercise load you administer to cyclists in a Grand Tour, it's just too much. It's not appropriate training anymore. It's just competition with too much exercise, which exhausts the riders. So at some point, we started using the ketones as a recovery agent in Grand Tour cyclists and we could just see similar effects that especially towards the end of a Grand Tour in the last week the cyclists were just better recovered than without ketones with no discussion about it.
0: Interesting. And what do you think the mechanisms of this positive finding were of the ketone use?
3: It's uh, of course the most important question and we do not certainly have all the answers on that because The only study that has been done on that specific topic on training overload and ketones, it was our study. And I think many labs avoid doing this kind of studies because they are so expensive and they are so labor intensive and you have to find the participants. But We were successful in doing it. And what we found, for instance, is that normally in a grand tour, when let's take the Tour de France, when in the prologue, on, in the first stage, you still have a maximal heart rate of 195. When you get to the end of the Tour de France on the Champs-Élysées and you go in maximal exercise, your maximal heart rate may have decreased to 175. That's really what you see in the pro cycling teams in, at that very high level. It's also the same at during submaximal exercise. At the start of a Tour de France, when you push, let's say, 350 watts, your heart rate may be 165. And at the end of the Tour de France, at 350 watts, your heart rate has decreased to 150. And in our study, we could see that this drop in heart rate during submaximal and maximal exercise, due to endurance exercise overload is almost completely inhibited by the administration of ketone bodies. And if we look at the regulation of heart rate, it's always a balance between the stimulatory activity of the sympathetic nervous system and the inhibitory activity of the parasympathetic nervous system. And if you see heart rate decreasing at a given exercise load, it probably means that the parasympathic system is winning in relation to the or the sympathetic nervous system, which means that you're unable to bring your energy systems and your heart rate and maybe your respiration system in a state of maximal activation. And this may be a mechanism to save energy in the body because you spend so much energy and the body is putting on some alarm mechanisms to save the body from overloading. And that's why the parasympathetic nervous system is upregulated to calm down the body, and that's not a good situation for performance.
0: And did you discover anything unexpected during this study?
3: Yeah, we discovered many unexpected things, in fact. And one thing was that there was a totally unexpected effect on the nutrition. What we did during the three weeks of training is after each training session, in all the participants, they got a typical recovery shake after each training session together with the ketone ester in the ketone group and a placebo, a fake product, in the other group. And besides these supplements, the participants were free to use their diet like they wanted. And still we noticed that the ketone group, they were able to adjust their energy aid intake and especially the carbohydrate intake, to the increasing energy needs during training. Because during the three weeks, we gradually increased the load. And the ketone group, without any instructions from our side, they increased their carbohydrate and energy intake gradually to correspond with the increased energy needs in training. While the group not receiving the ketones, they didn't do that. Which means that in the placebo group, there was an energy deficit throughout the three weeks of training, why the ketone group, they were able to stay in energy balance, which of course is extremely important to maintain endurance performance when you repeat exercise day after day, like in grand tours.
0: So is that because of the effect on appetite or because of the muscle uptake of nutrients.
3: We have no clear-cut answer on that question. We measured all the appetite hormones, and we didn't see really a significant difference, except for one hormone, that's GDF15. And that's one hormone of which we know that it's involved in regulation of, the, of appetite. And in the absence of ketone ester intake, this hormone that may cut the appetite was gradually increasing throughout the three weeks of training, and that did not happen at all in the ketone group. So it may be a hormonal effect that is mediated through the GDF-15, but we need more studies to give a conclusive answer on that.
2: One other thing, Peter, in this study with the GDF-15, I think you had said that you think that could then be a reliable marker of overtraining where you hadn't realized that in the past. Is that true?
3: We still live with the idea that GDF 15, in the context of very high volume endurance training, that's what we are talking about. And we are not talking about sprinters and weightlifters, but endurance athletes doing very long hours of training in marathon, triathlon cycling. That as the cycling load becomes too much, you get an increase in GDF 15, very clearly. And we still think it might be an appropriate marker for. distinguish between functional overreaching and non-functional when it's really getting too much but the research to confirm that still needs to be done and the problem is that it's not easy to do that because experimentally overtraining volunteers as you would do in a Tour de France for instance, it's not something you can easily undertake in, in controlled research because it's so expensive And it's uh, very labor intensive and doing it in the professional context of cycling makes no sense because so many things are happening that you you cannot control the situation.
0: So based on the parameters of the study, it seems like it would definitely be applicable to elite athletes, but do you think it would be applicable to amateur endurance athletes as well?
3: No, I, I don't think so. That's an obvious and very important question because what we did in our study was massive overload in training we didn't intend to make our participants better in endurance but we wanted to make them worse due to the overload that's not what you want to do in an appropriate training process where you want to have an adequate balance between training and recovery and eventually end up in super compensation that makes you better so in the meantime we did that study but we did not yet publish it. And we did a study where we had the same type of well-trained cyclists, but not elite cyclists involved in an eight-week training program, but where we have a good balance between training and recovery. And the same principle, half of the participants with the ketone est, same dose as in the first study, and the other half with a fake supplement. And in that study... Actually, we almost see no effect on performance. We see no physiological effects. We don't see any effect on erythropoietin. Maybe we have to discuss this one a little bit later because that's an important one. So what seems to be true in a situation of overtraining with the ketones doesn't seem to be true in a situation of well-balanced training. So that's one reason for me not to say that Recreational athletes, yeah, please do it because you will get better. No, no, I can only say you can only use it when you think you would get worse when you train too much. A second thing is in our study, we overloaded subjects for three weeks with two training sessions per day with very high volumes of training. I don't know any recreational cyclist in my environment who is doing that because it's too much. You go training as a recreational cyclist, especially in the weekend and maybe twice in the week because you have to work or you study. You don't have the time to train every day, most of them, and certainly not twice per day. So the total training volume in a recreational cyclist is much less. And in general, or very often, you have at least a full day of recovery in between the sessions. And that's probably a situation where the ketones would become much less effective. So I would conclude that today we have no conclusive evidence to even suggest that recreational cyclists training three, four times a week could get any benefit in training from using the ketone ester.
2: So Peter, this study was really to simulate the extreme demands of a grand tour.
3: Yes, not only because we also use the ketone ester in other sports, and for instance, when we apply to marathon running, at some point in the preparation of a marathon, when I look to world class marathon runners, and we have uh, one in Belgium, Bashir Abdi, who had the bronze medal in Tokyo, at some point they go to training weeks of 200, 220 kilometers per week, which is also killing. Also in triathlon, we have the same situation that when athletes are peaking to Ironman Hawaii or uh, another important competition, at some point they will accumulate extremely high training volume. For me, based on our study, that's probably a potential application to make sure that when endurance athletes at that very high level apply the extremely high training loads, at the end of such a training cycle, they would be much more fit. But that's the only other situation where I think that the ketone esters could really be helpful in having a significant effect on training adaptation.
2: I mean, I think with the amateur athletes, it's really easy and attractive to chase that silver bullet Yes, and spend a lot of money, and but yet just consistently hitting the fundamentals of sleep, nutrition, hydration, which will allow them to optimally train and recover is the best way they can make the biggest
3: gains. I absolutely agree with that because uh, you probably know the cost of the ketone ester supplements. The ketone esters in the doses we have used are the most expensive supplements and you would pay about $30 or euros for one single dose. And these companies have started selling lower doses to make it less expensive and probably stimulate the sales. But we have no evidence at all that these lower doses may ever work. So these higher doses, they cost 30 euros. And if you know that in a three week training cycle, you may need 20 to 30 doses, you end up by paying about $1,000. If I would have to spend $1,000 as a recreational cyclist or triathlete or marathon runner, I would focus on the primary things that's carbohydrate intake, rehydration, having optimal materials and maybe buy better tires and better materials, running shoes, and other things to do. But I don't think that ketones are in the first choice to improve performance in recreation endurance athletes.
0: That seems like really sound advice, focusing on all the the fundamentals that you know have large performance gains. (laughs) First, (laughs) before you start experimenting with something that you know might accelerate your performance a, a tiny percent but it's not quite proven.
3: Yeah and I, besides working with uh, elite cyclists, I wor- very often work with recreational athletes and if you notice which big mistakes they still make in basic things the first thing to do is avoid these kind of big mistakes. And get better in the basic things even before you start talking about use of these special things like using ketone esters.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. Peter, has there been subsequent research to confirm your findings in this study?
3: Not on the overtraining and not on the well-balanced training. And um, I know some people who have been doing studies on ketone use during exercise and training. But none of them, I am aware, is running a study on long-term training at the moment, which is very unfortunate. But is explained by the fact that these studies are very expensive and not easy to do.
0: Yeah. And your studies were done on male participants, but do you think the results would be the same for female participants?
3: Yeah, it's a, a most relevant question, of course, because one of the big issues with uh, exercise physiology research is that 90% of the studies are done on male participants. If you look at the ketone esters or the potential of ketone supplements and the potential difference between males and females, we know that females are better in fat metabolism than males, which could mean that they could more easily respond to elevated ketone, but it's circulating in the blood because they have more higher concentration of circulating fatty acids. But as long as the studies have not been done, I don't think we can give a conclusive answer, but for ketones, I don't think there's any specific reason to believe at present that women would have a less of a smaller response to ketone ester ingestion than males have, which is not true for all supplements because I don't know if you have seen very recent research showing that you know, all the studies with beetroot juice and nitrate.
0: I haven't. Actually, I'm not familiar with those.
3: Beetroot juice and nitrate has been shown to improve endurance performance in males. And now there have been some first studies in females. And they show that this kind of intervention is not working in females. So that shows that it's very important to look at the differential response. But unfortunately, with ketones, we don't know yet.
2: Yeah, interesting. So Peter, next on our list of your studies is exogenous ketosis impacts neither performance nor muscle glycogen breakdown yes. in prolonged endurance exercise. And it seems that the study seems to address the most prevalent misnomer about ketones, that they are a super fuel.
3: Yes, yes.
2: So, so we'll kind of stick with the same formula in dissecting your studies. So going in, what were your expectations and then what were the actual findings
3: We did that study, in fact, to have a double check of the data published in the seminal publication by the group of Oxford by Cox et al. in 2016, where they published that ingestion of ketone esters was uh, enhancing time trial performance, I think by about 2-3%, and the ingestion of ketone esters was also glycogen sparing. And these two things glycogen sparing and improvement of time trial performance are of course sufficient to trigger a hype in endurance athletes. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened because everybody wanted to have the ketone esters. But if you dissect that study, you see that the study methods used are not what endurance athletes do or are supposed to do when they want to perform in an endurance event. And as we have been discussing five minutes before, first thing to do to enhance endurance exercise performance is follow the recommendations with regard to carbohydrate intake. You need your carbohydrate meal and you need the recommended rates of carbohydrate intake during exercise. Of course, if you skip that and in the place of instead of supplying the right amount of carbohydrates, you forget about it and you give the ketone esters, you get in an unreal situation because you don't do the basics and you give another potential fuel that in that specific condition might indeed help to improve performance. And it was not really a fasting state in that study, but getting close, it could be that administration of ketone esters during prolonged exercise in the fasted state, could enhance endurance exercise performance. But that's not what you want to do in a competition. In a competition, you want to see whether on top of ingesting the recommended amount of carbohydrates, on top of that, ingestion of ketones could result in an additional beneficial effect. And that's why we did our study. And there we found out that the performance improvement was completely absent. And also the glycogen sparing effect that was proposed by the publication by Oxford did not exist. So I think that the results of our study were much more close to real-life situation than the conditions that were used by the Oxford group. So to translate that to the field, after our study, we have immediately recommended to the cycling team we are working with not to use the ketone esters during exercise.
2: In this study, can you tell us how the ketone ester ingestion affected blood pH and the bicarbonate calcium and sodium and why this was important?
3: Yeah, that's very important because the ketone esters, when you ingest them, them, they are very acid. And when you use them in high amounts, they cause blood acidosis. Uh, To translate in pH, your pH would decrease by about uh, from 7.4 to 7.35, which could correspond like with saying that you already start your exercise with a too high blood lactate concentration that causes some degree of acidosis. Everybody involved in endurance sports knows that you do not want to make an endurance performance or start it in a state of acidosis because it may impair performance. So our idea was that maybe we should give the ketones only during the first half of a cycling race and then by the end of the race, the ketones are out of the body and in the final hour of the race, when you decide about success or non-success, You don't win the race in the first 100K, but in the last 50. So by the end of the race, you have no more ketone bodies in the blood. Your acidosis has disappeared. But maybe by using the ketones in the first half of the race, you have saved some glycogen, glycogen sparing, which makes you probably to be a better cyclist in the final half an hour of the competition but we didn't find it.
2: So basically you're saying ingest the ketones during like that submax type effort. And how long will those ketones stay in the body after ingestion?
3: Or if you take one to, one dose of 30 grams it would increase your blood ketone concentration for a time window of about 3 to 4 hours maximum. But during exercise it's short if you ingest it at rest It will increase within half an hour and then stay high for at least two, three hours. During exercise, because you metabolize the ketones more rapidly, you will have it decreasing within one, one and a half an hour to almost baseline levels. So you would have to ingest a second dose to keep it high for two, three hours during a race.
2: Got it. And in this study, did you discover anything unexpected?
3: Well, at some point we thought maybe the effect will be more beneficial if we can avoid the acidosis. So in the first study, we gave the ketones in the first two hours of the race, simulated race in a laboratory, but still you see that the participants they get in acidosis, the pH is decreasing, and maybe this is something to avoid, because also from cyclists in the field, we could hear that when they were using ketones at the start of a race, and in the early phase of the race, there was a sharp uphill and the race was accelerating. They didn't feel very well. Mm. So we thought maybe we should just buffer the acidosis by co-ingestion of bicarbonate. So cyclists would not start feeling bad during the initial phase of the race in case the race starts earlier than would be typical for a cyclist race where the first one two hours it's a uh, wheeling almost being in the peloton and chatting but it's not always the case uh, sometimes something happens early and you have to be ready so we say we're gonna co-administer bicarbonate to avoid the acidosis and look whether there is a performance enhancing effect at the end of the race and that's indeed what we found and that's Although that was our hypothesis, we were surprised to see that at the end of the race, where there were no more ketone bodies in the blood, when there was no more extra bicarbonate in the blood and no acidosis, in a 30-minute time trial, after three hours of simulated racing, the performance was better in the ketone group. And to be honest, we still do not understand.
2: So it was the ketone plus bicarbonate.
3: Yes, that was the only condition that really worked and that we could also experience in cyclists in the field, that cyclists benefited from co-ingestion of ketone, esters and bicarbonate during the first half of the race, then stop, that they were feeling better in the final one hour of the race.
2: It gets complicated.
3: It is very complicated and for sure too complicated for recreational cyclists, (laughs) I think.
0: I suppose there's also like an individual response, right? That you have to experiment with each individual.
3: I think that's a general rule that whatever you use to enhance performance during exercise, be it a higher carbohydrate dose or another nutritional supplement than ketones, you always have to... Try it out in training or in simulated competition or in a competition that is not really important to experience whether it really works in you as an individual. And it may be that it works in one of your friends, but not in you because you get gastrointestinal upset and your friend doesn't. It's an individual thing always.
2: Since you did see a glimpse of some positive results from the combination of bicarbonate and ketone, and you had mentioned not certain of the mechanism of why that's happening, will you continue to do some more research on that aspect?
3: Oh, we did, because in the first study, we simulated the full cycling race of three and a half hours, with the last 30 minutes being all out, like would be typical for a a cycling race. But then we thought maybe it will also work in a time trial. Because in a time trial, you produce, if it's a time trial of 20, 30 minutes, you produce a lot of lactate because quite some part of the energy production is anaerobic because you want to go a little bit higher than your anaerobic threshold, especially at the end. So we believe that maybe if during a time trial you would use the ketone ester and combine it with bicarbonate, you might still have a beneficial effect of ketone ester ingestion. And the only thing we found is that it didn't help. It was even worse that when you were using only the ketone ester, the performance in the time trial was worse. And this finding in the meantime have been confirmed by the research group of uh, Gibala in uh, Canada at uh, Guelph University. They found exactly the same. So very early after that study, we have recommended cyclists and endurance athletes in other disciplines. When you do a high-intensity exercise, taking, let's say, 15 minutes to one hour, please don't use the ketone esters because the chance is high that it's going to impair your performance rather than improve. And the addition of bicarbonate didn't help at all. So there the message is easy. The ketone esters don't help with or without bicarbonate, so simply don't use it.
2: Is it due to the higher acidosis or do you also feel like the ketones are suppressing glycolysis? It's both. Okay.
3: You see lower lactate levels when you use the ketone esters due to partial inhibition of glycolysis. And at the same time, you have the acidosis that... May partly inhibit the energy metabolism and contractile activity in the muscles. So it's two different mechanisms. When doing a maximal exercise of 15, 30 minutes, you do not want to enhance acidosis. You never want it, so you do not want to use the keto nest.
2: Sounds like a double whammy. Yes. So to kind of conclude this study, same question that Didi had asked, I believe your participants were male in this study. Do you feel the results would be the same for female athletes?
3: I think for uh, this part, I am absolutely convinced that it would be the same for female athletes. Because there is no evidence at all that the role of glycolysis during high intensity and during exercise or the role of acidosis would be different between males and females. So I think you can just translate the results from the male studies to female athletes.
1: Listeners, this is a great time of year to expand your training knowledge. Join Fast Talk Laboratories now for the best knowledge base of training science on topics like polarized training, intervals, data analysis, sports nutrition, physiology, and more. Join Fast Talk Labs today and push your thinking and your training to all new heights. See more at FastTalkLabs.com join.
0: So Peter, we'd like to move on now to your study on exogenous ketosis increases blood and muscle oxygenation, but not performance during exercise in hypoxia. What were your expectations going into this study versus the actual findings?
3: Well, we expected that the use of ketone esters in contrast to normoxia, C-level exercise, that there the ketone esters might have a positive effect on performance. Because one of the biochemical things known about the oxidation of ketones in the human body and especially in skeletal muscle is that when you use ketones as an energy substrate, the utilization of the available oxygen is more efficient than when you use carbohydrates to with your oxygen to produce ATP or energy and certainly much better than using fatty acids. So by pushing the use of ketones as an energy substrate into the metabolism, you might save some oxygen, which might be beneficial at altitude where you get in a state of oxygen deficiency. So I think the rationale was logic. So what we found is that you, when you ingest the ketone ester during ex- again during a simulated cycling race in hypoxia, uh, at simulated altitude... We saw that the arterial oxygen content was higher by using the ketone ester, but in the end, we didn't see an improvement of performance. And that's, at first glance, a contradiction because athletes, of course, are primarily interested in the performance and having a higher arterial oxygen with no improvement of performance, no reason to go for it. And in fact, the reason why you have a higher arterial oxygen content is again related to the acidosis. By using the ketone ester, you create acidosis and acidosis stimulates hyperventilation. So your lung function, your respiratory rate and your minute volume of ventilation when you use the ketone ester is higher when you use the ketone ester than when you don't use it. And by causing hyperventilation, you automatically slightly increase the arterial oxygen content. That's a normal effect of hyperventilation. But of course, the hyperventilation also costs energy because your respiratory muscles have to work hard and it doesn't yield any real benefit in the muscle because in the meantime, we know that what was told in the beginning that ketones are a so-called super fuel and yield more energy during exercise than carbohydrates, that this is not true. And the first idea is launched by the Oxford study that ketones esters would replace carbohydrates in the muscle. That has been investigated by other groups and by the same group again, and they have not confirmed that finding. So we should stop considering ketones as a superfuel, it's not. We have only one super fuel, and that's the carbohydrates. And in no way we should inhibit the use of carbohydrates by muscle during high-intensity exercise by using the ketone esters because the carbohydrates are a better fuel.
0: And so just to clarify, you don't think that doing this study, changing the timing or the dose of the ketones would yield any different results?
3: Any recommendations? on the use of ketone esters based on studies we have not been doing. So I don't dare to say it could be that a lower dose could work, but the studies still need to be done.
0: So moving on, has there been any subsequent research to confirm your findings in this study?
3: Yeah, especially the group from Guelph University uh, from uh, Martin Gibala. They have also done uh, similar studies, and also the group from Dublin University, Brendan Egan. They have also done studies in hypoxia. And what they also see is that when you use the ketone ester in hypoxia, you stimulate your ventilation, you have a higher heart rate, but your exercise performance doesn't benefit. You just spend more energy in increasing your heart rate and your lung work actually due to the acidosis created by the ketone ester intake.
2: So those two things cancel each other out, basically?
3: Probably, yes.
2: Was there anything
0: unexpected that you found during this study?
3: Yeah, what was unexpected that we our hypothesis was that the ketone ester would improve performance, because in throughout literature it said that the ketone esters are more efficient to use as an energy substrate when oxygen availability is limited, because ketone esters are more efficient. So it was logic to expect that ketone esters would help, and we were quite disappointed that it didn't help. But at that time, we still believe that the ketone esters were used by skeletal muscle as an alternative superfuel, which we know at present is not true.
0: Yeah. This study was done on male participants. Do you think that the results would be the same for female athletes in this case?
3: Yes, I think so. Because in general, the responses of females and males to hypoxia during exercise are quite similar. Hypoxia is very often used in training these days, endurance athletes, and males and females, they should do the same training things. So I think that you can uh, extrapolate from the males to the females.
2: So Peter, next up is one of your most recent studies, I think a very interesting study. It's exogenous ketosis increases circulating dopamine concentration and maintains mental alertness in ultra-endurance athletes. Yes. Can you tell us uh, your aims going into this study and, and what you actually found?
3: Yeah, I think to explain that, we have to move a little bit away from cycling and triathlon, but maybe go more to the very extreme ultra endurance sports, like you have the Barclay. Marathon in the United States. And one of my countrymen, Karel Sabe, actually finished the Barclay <laughs> Marathon this year.
2: That is insane. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's insane. But there are also the uh, trans-American cycling race. And you have the Tour de Géants with the six, seven-day trail in the mountains in Switzerland. I'm thinking about this kind of events. And these typically are events where you always want to work on sub-maximal rate, uh, well-dosing, not to spend too much energy, because it's just a matter of surviving. And typically to to this type of races is that carbohydrates become much less important as an energy source for the muscle, because many, if most of these athletes, they in fact move to a low-carb, high-fat diet, because... During low to moderate intensity exercise, fat is the most important fuel. So it's probably a good thing to train the body to work primarily on fat during ultra-endurance events. So that's why a fat-rich diet can help to improve performance so you are less dependent on carbohydrate intake during the race. But during these races that are so exhaustive, typically you get into a state of mental fatigue. Very often they have to do a caffeine nap, stop and quickly sleep for 15, 20 minutes along the street or in the bushes in the Barkley Marathon and then wake up after 15 minutes because your mental alertness is decreasing, which becomes very dangerous. That's where the ketone bodies could become interesting because in contrast to skeletal muscle, the brain can use ketone bodies as a fantastic fuel. And when in endurance events, your blood glucose concentration would start to decrease because of the long duration of the event and you are on a ketogenic diet, I think it's realistic to think that ketone bodies may replace the glucose to fuel the brain, which might increase or improve mental alertness. And that's exactly what we found. We investigated the use of ketone esters during a 100-kilometer race event, that's in the woods, a trail race, and that lasted on average about 10 hours. And the conditions were very bad, and all these athletes at the end were mentally very exhausted. And we found one thing, no, two, one thing was that at the end of the race, the reaction times and the mental alertness in these athletes was definitely better with the Keto Nest. And probably one of the reasons might be that the dopamine release in the central nervous system was stimulated. And that's a totally other role for ketone estrus during exercise. That's improving mental alertness in exercise conditions that are so strenuous that your mental health is decreasing, decreasing reaction time, mental alertness. And if our studies are confirmed, I think this is a future application of ketone esters in the future.
2: What was the dosage and timing of the dosage during that 10 hours?
3: The dosage was very high. We started with a bolus of 30 grams, and then we gave an additional 10 grams every half an hour during 10 hours. So this was the highest dose ever given of ketone supplements to participants during exercise and the reason we did it was that we wanted to maintain a ketone concentration in the blood of about two three millimoles from the start to the end of the race with the intention to supply ketone fuel for the brain throughout the entire race. In that race it would not help to just give it at the start and when at the end of the race you get in problems mentally the ketones have disappeared from the blood. No, no. just at that time, you need the ketones. So we gave it continuously, and we had no gastrointestinal problems. It was well-tolerated, and we found that the mental alertness was improved.
2: Does the brain prefer ketones over glucose, if given the choice?
3: Absolutely. There are experiments showing that when you give the brain in animal experiments the choice to use either ketones or glucose, the brain uses the ketones.
2: And would you say these athletes were operating, and I realize everyone refers to training zones differently, but I think zone two is pretty universal. So that long endurance, were they squarely in that zone?
3: Yes, that's typically what ultra endurance athletes do. Uh, they are always maximal training easily because it doesn't make sense to do accelerations in such races and sprints because you just empty your glucose stars in the body. So you just try to maintain a pace of which you think you may be able to maintain it until the finish.
2: I live in Truckee, California, which is the Sierra Nevada and it's the near the start of the Western States Trail Run if you've heard of that. And I also used to live in Auburn, which is the finish, but sometimes I wonder these gals and guys are doing those that race so fast. I'm just like, "Geez, are they really operating in long endurance because it just it's amazing to me."
3: Yeah, the, if you see what uh, Kilian Journay is doing, you know this one. Uh, some athletes are really superhuman and Kilian Journay has even been running up the Mount Everest at an incredibly high speed. So I think this proves that humans, if they specifically train on something and at the same time they are highly talented, they can do things we believe humans could never do. And that's probably the thing you are referring to, that the speeds they are developing it's also in cycling. It's also in marathon running. If you see that now the marathon runners are running at 21 kilometers per hour, approaching the two-hour limit, it's insane.
2: It is. But
3: they are just able to do it.
2: I was just kind of curious. So if you think some of these athletes, and maybe they're not, maybe that's just becomes their long endurance, that pace. It's just they're, they become so efficient. But I was wondering, in some of these races, these top-level racers, if they are kind of tipping into maybe, say, that sub-threshold at points, if this would work for them with those kind of adverse effects of ketones and like the acidosis?
3: I, I don't really dare to answer that question. It, it depends on the, on the duration of the race, I think. It, there is a difference between a 48-hour race and a 6-7-day race. Yeah, like the Barclay Marathon, it's just surviving. It's a combination of walking, jogging. uh, They do it day and night. No way they're going to run at high pace because they know they're going to die prematurely. If it's a 24-hour race, you can still train at some point towards the end of the race, increasing the intake of carbohydrates and still stimulate your carbohydrate oxidation in the muscle to suppress fat oxidation and go fast. So I think it's a different type of training depending on how long the event lasts and whether it's yes or no useful still to put some accent on the utilization of carbohydrates.
2: Mm-hmm. I thought one important distinction you made in, in this paper was that the ketone esters prevent exercise-induced deterioration of mental reaction time, but do not up, grade normal level of cognitive functioning.
3: This has been confirmed in a series of uh, recent studies by Brendan Egan at Dublin University that in fact with the ketone esters, we can only expect that you improve cognitive function in a state where there is deterioration of cognitive function by some reason. It can be a disease or it can, in our case, be exercise. So... In our study, we could clearly see that the ultra-endurance race decreased cognitive function by about 20%. So what the ketone ester is doing, it's bringing your level back to normal, but not upgrading above normal. That's not something one can expect. Otherwise, all my students at the university would probably already be using the ketone esters.
2: Peter, you touched on the the mechanisms when you alluded to dopamine, but were there some other mechanisms you felt that were responsible for this positive result?
3: At present, we have no indications for other mechanisms that might be useful. It's certainly true that dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is important in uh, mental alertness. Still, the problem with our study is that we measure dopamine in blood which may be different from dopamine in the central nervous system. So the studies that need to be done is measure the impact of ketone esters on dopamine production in the central nervous system. And of course, in humans, that's a very difficult thing to do. But given that ketones are a priority fuel for the brain, we might even expect that the effect on dopamine metabolism in the brain greater than what we have seen in the blood, explaining the effect on reaction time. But it's speculation.
2: And did you have any unexpected discoveries in this study?
3: No, not really. We had expected that it would also improve performance. And there, that's a difference between statistics and ecological relevance. We could definitely see that with the ketone ester intake, there was not only an improvement in the reaction time, but looking at the means and the variation in performances, There was a very clear trend for a better performance in the ketone group. But being a scientist, as long as something is not statistically significant, you cannot say that it works. But there is a difference between statistical significance and biological significance in elite sports. You can never prove in a study that intake of caffeine would improve 100-meter sprint performance in Olympic sprinters because the effect is too small but three hundredths of a second can make a difference between a medal and no medal in a hundred meter sprint you can never prove sometimes it's the same with scientific evidence related to elite sports and uh, we cannot do the study in elite athletes because they are not available so you have to do the the studies in less trained individuals and you have to see a substantial effect in order to find a statistical significance. But even a minor effect in elite athletes is important. If the marathon runner, Kiptum, runs his next marathon 35 seconds faster, he's running 159.99 and it makes a million dollar difference on his bank account and many more millions in the years after. So minor differences can make a big difference in elite sports.
2: Yeah. In this study, if I understood correctly, I think similar to what you'd done in the overtraining study, you allowed for free feeding. Yes. And I think you saw that the ketone ester group increased their energy intake by 30%, which had obviously a positive effect on their energy status.
3: It's a potential mechanism, though I'm not sure how important it is in just a 100K marathon. It would definitely be important in a two- or in a multiple-day event where energy deficiency would negatively impact performance. It could play a role also in a 10-hour event in order to be sure we should have a new study where we control the energy intake. And that's a problem with that kind of study because the only correct way to have a countermeasure for the ketone ester energy intake... Would like to be administered extra fat or medium chain triglycerides in the same energy equivalent. But then, this administration by itself might have an effect on performance. It might be that the ingestion of medium chain triglycerides could impair performance if you ingest it for 10 hours by causing gastrointestinal distress. So, we have been thinking of administering a placebo or a control drink giving the same amount of energy, but we didn't find an appropriate solution. Because either you give more carbohydrates that impact performance, or you give more fat, and in the end, you don't know what's happening.
2: And I think you also felt that the ketone ester intake improved muscle soreness in this situation.
3: Yeah, but not muscle soreness. We had some indication that there was a smaller degree of uh, post-exercise Muscular inflammation, okay. which might enhance recovery, but then again, the question is that in this type of events, running and marathon running, you don't run a marathon every day. After such an event, you have, you in general have at least a week of rest, and I am not sure that the minor improvement in terms of muscular inflammation would have any beneficial effect. After a week of rest, after a marathon or uh, another running event, it remains to be established.
2: It's all about context. Yes. Yeah. So same question. I think these were mostly male participants. Would you foresee the same results with female athletes?
3: If you look at endurance exercise events, it's very clear from research that the more important the contribution of fat metabolism in energy provision, the more close Females get to males. The difference in world records, if you look at a 5,000 meter in track and field, 10,000 meter or a 20 kilometer run or a marathon, the relative difference is smaller in marathon running between males and females than in the higher intensity events where carbohydrates are the primary fuel. So then the question is, if you have females running an ultra-endurance event, and they are more specialized in fat oxidation, one might expect that the potential positive effect of ketone bodies might be smaller because the females are better able to use the fatty acids and oxidation. It's possible. So I don't dare just to extrapolate from the males to the females, but the studies need to be done once again. And it once again shows that there's research with regard to The ketone hype is still in its infancy, and we still need many more studies to be done to really know the exact windows wherein we want to use it and wherein we do not want to use it.
0: Peter, we'd like to move on now to your most recent study. Exogenous ketosis elevates circulating erythropoietin and stimulates muscular angiogenesis during endurance training overload. What were your expectations going into this study versus the actual findings?
3: Well, in fact, that study was one of the unexpected findings in our first study that we found out that at the end of the three-week overtraining period, the ketone group had really substantially more muscle capillaries. But we didn't understand why. And so we started to look or we wanted to look at the mechanisms and you start to look into mechanisms of muscular angiogenesis. And one of the hormones that really is important in stimulating muscular angiogenesis is erythropoietin. And by creative thinking, I would say, uh, we thought that if erythropoietin in endurance sports has been so effective in enhancing performance and probably the primary reason for blood doping and erythropoietin administration to enhance performance in endurance sports, and forgive me, I do not only refer to cycling, because it also has been used in other endurance sports. But my observations in cycling, and I think many people who have been involved long-term in cycling will agree that at the times where, unfortunately, the vast majority of professional cyclists were using butt doping, they did many more races per year. They did 100 races per year, some even more. And in between the races, they were still doing Quite serious training. My observations now say that in elite cycling, at least in the team I am working with, and I can see what's happening, we are in the post-blood post doping episode. And in general, you see in cycling that the riders do many less races. They don't do 100 race days per year anymore. They do 60, 70. And in between, they have many more rest days. So from the field, I think there is an indication that probably the primary action of erythropoietin used in the form of doping was to enhance recovery, which proves its efficacy in the grand tours in earlier days, because the riders that have been very successful, or some of them have been admitting that we're consistently using blood doping. So from that experience, we thought, maybe it's just erythropoietin that is doing the job in our study, because we see much better recovery and we see more capillaries, and erythropoietin is one a primary stimulant of angiogenesis in muscles. So the puzzle was almost perfect. And while we were looking at the effect of our overtraining study on erythropoietin, the lab of Javier Gonzalez from uh, a lab in the United Kingdom published the data showing that acute intake of ketone esters stimulated the release of erythropoietin. So they did an exercise. And after that, they ingested ketones in recovery and erythropoietin was significantly higher. So I said, yeah, we know the answer. We also measured erythropoietin in our study. And indeed, we found that in the condition of overtraining in conjunction with ketone intake, erythropoietin was significantly higher. So still today, I think that is probably one of the primary mechanisms of action of ketone ester intake to improve recovery during very high volumes of training. Because one of the effects of volume overtraining is to suppress erythropoietin release. And probably by the administration of ketone esters, you correct for this suppression, like with the dopamine and the reaction time in ultra-endurance. And I say that because I told you earlier in this talk that we did a new study with training But with well balanced training, with a good balance between training and recovery. And there we don't see the effect on erythropoietin. Mm -hmm. So that's an additional reason for me to say that I probably have indications to say that in well balanced, appropriate endurance training, it's not going to help. It's only when you put your body into trouble by overload and you suppress your normal physiological activity like secretion of erythropoietin, dopamine that you can avoid the damage or reduce the damage by using the ketone est.
0: So based on that, do you think that this effect would be applicable really only for the most elite athletes that are riding or exercising to exhaustion day after day and not really applicable to amateur endurance athletes?
3: I think I can only fully agree with that statement. I think if you exercise two four times a week, and it can even be hard to exercise, but you recover well in between. I don't think that surplus administration of ketone ester is gonna help you to get better,
0: no. And was there anything unexpected that you discovered during this study?
3: Well, not, not really, because this was just a follow-up of our initial study on overtraining based on the experience in cycling and publication by another lab on erythropoietin. So we just checked that specific point and we found exactly what we f- what we wanted to find still i was i did not expect that we did the normal training with well a good balance between training and recovery i had still expected that we would find higher erythropoietin levels which we did not and in fact and i am not unhappy with that because it narrows the window for use of ketones in sporting populations And it's an extra argument to say to the general population, people don't jump into the ketone supplements because this is something for the top-level athletes that are involved in training loads that you will probably never experience in your life.
0: So looking specifically at elite world tour cyclists, would it make sense to supplement with ketones in a one-week race or really only in the Grand Tour three-week races?
3: The only thing I can say is that in our study we could see that the effect was becoming greater the longer the training overload was lasting and also in practice we have seen that the primary benefit was in the grand tours towards the end in the last week but of course when athletes are in the competitive season you have a rapid sequence of races and after having participated in one-week stage race, you may have three days rest or one week rest, and then you participate in another one, and then you have a one-day race or maybe two one-day races and another short stage race before you go in a grand tour. So I cannot exclude that even in every even shorter stage race, you would use the Ketone Est. In the end, after two or three months of preparation, you would get in a more fit state at the start of a grand tour. I have no evidence, but neither have I evidence to exclude that as a possibility.
0: And has there been subsequent research to confirm your findings in this study?
3: On the erythropoietin? Mm-hmm. No, I think there is only the study by Javier Gonzalez group in the United Kingdom and by our group. But I'm quite sure that because this erythropoietin finding is so important and so eye-catching, I think, for everybody involved in endurance training, that it will not last long before new results will be published. But I'm not aware of any studies going on, but I'm sure they will come.
2: Yeah. So if like a, a world tour rider was using this during a grand tour, they would essentially be using it at the end of like after the stage each day.
3: If you look at the grand tours, one of the teams and by accident is a team I am working with for many years, the Quickstep team with Remco Evenepoel. This team is sponsored by an American manufacturer of the ketone monoest, est And even, that's the reason why I can just say it, on television, when even a pool has won another race, or just not won another race, the first thing he's doing is taking the ketone est. And he's repeating that in the evening before going to bed. Mm. And not only him, the team.
2: And what's the dosage?
3: Is the 30 gram dose, mm. the high dose. Because again, there is no evidence that 5 or 10 grams may help. So I would never recommend people to use the low-dose supplements because I don't think they may help.
0: So you're not adjusting it for the weight of the athlete?
3: It would not be unlogic to do it. But in practice, when you're in competition and you have the small bottles of 30 grams, which we have also been using in some of our studies, just 30 grams for everybody, We have done other studies where we have weight adjusted, but we see the same effects. So in practice, we just give one bottle with the 30 grams and they drink it. But I agree that in a 60 or a 50 kilogram female cyclist, a 20 gram may probably have exactly the same effect as in an 80 gram male cyclist.
0: And again, this study was done on male participants. Do you think the results would be the same for female athletes?
3: The result on the secretion of erythropoietin. Mm-hmm. The regulation of erythropoietin secretion in males and females follows exactly the same mechanisms. So I would think, yes, that the same findings would apply for males and females.
2: Mm-hmm. Moving on, we now that we've had the opportunity to, to dissect and discuss your five studies, which again to me have clearly shown like what ketones can do and can potentially do, I'd love to ask you a few follow-up questions. So again, we, we started this conversation, like the hype around ketones and then the, the conversation about these World Tour teams and it's created this intrigue and curiosity. So, I mean, do you think some of these superhuman performances we're seeing at the World Tour level can be in part attributed to ketone use?
3: I don't like the word superhuman performances. Okay. Because in the word superhuman, it seems to suggest somewhere that some illegal things might be happening. Mm-hmm. And you probably consider Remco Evenepoel as one of the superhuman performing guys. Yes. And we have Pogachar And who else would you be referring to?
0: Wengogo, Van Aert, Van Der Poel.
3: Yeah. The first thing to say about that is that all the cyclists you're mentioning are supported by a team that has excellent scientific consultants, not only in terms of nutrition and nutritional supplements, but also for aerodynamics, heat acclimation, altitude training and materials, aerodynamics, name whatever you want in all these important determinants of performance, they are world top. Then the question still is, is there something happening that makes pool to be better than most of the others, except the ones we have mentioned? I know Remco since he was a football player. And in fact, he came to do his first exercise test as a football player in my lab. And I was there, and I was surprised of his physical condition because the VO2 max and endurance in football players at high level is good, but not at the level of Remco Evenepoel. So, and his trainer, because he was on the point of getting a professional football player or not, but it didn't just work out. And he said, why don't we try as a cyclist? His trainer said, because your endurance is so good, why don't you try just for... few months to train on the bike that's what he did and just after three months of training some scouts from the top teams said jesus what's happening there so this guy is just extremely talented and you may remember the world championship under 23 four years ago when uh, in the beginning of the race even the pool he had a crash and he was five minutes behind And he was in the World Championships. He was just riding to the front. And he finished with 10 minutes ahead as the winner of the race. And this number two, 10 minutes behind. I can only say this guy is extremely talented. I see what he's doing, how professional he is. I know his values in exercise test, VO2 max. I think we are at present just hitting some extremely talented young cyclists. That are supported by fantastic teams. That's the Quick Step team I am working with, that's the Jumbo Visna team, and the Emirates team by Pogacar. And you have a combination of super talents, young, combined with excellent training, follow up with all determinants of performance. And because cyclism has become a much more pure sport than it has been in the past. I think the chance for these super talents at young age to appear in front of the race at young age have increased.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, the great champions, they have that genetic talent, but they have extreme work ethic. And then they also have that mental determination. I think when you get those three pieces put together, you know, it's that Remco.
0: And the community around the athlete, the support, the team, the family.
3: That's absolutely true. And, you know, that's why I absolutely do not want to use the word superhuman because we have all to admit you are never 500% sure about what an athlete is doing. Yeah. Never, ever. Even if you're married and your husband is a a top cyclist, you may not even know everything he's doing. You're never 200% sure but I have seen the evolution of one of these young top cyclists from the age of 17 until today, and I have not one single argument to believe that what he is doing is superhuman.
0: I mean, the other thing to keep in perspective, too, is we're talking about one supplement today, ketones. And like we all said a couple minutes ago, there's just so many different factors that affect overall performance. Yes. Including what tires you choose, the PSI, the aero skin suit. There's just so many different factors. And this is a potential factor that can affect performance positively or negatively. But it is a small piece of a very large puzzle that you have to put together to create a top performance.
3: It's absolutely true. And another point is that uh, we are involved in pro cycling with the teams of Patrick Lefebvre from the time the big MAPEI team disappeared and we immediately took over. So we have known many of the top cyclists from the teams of Patrick Lefebvre, from uh, Johan Museu, Bettini, Virenk, Tom Bonen, the whole series. Now it's Evenepoel and Julien Alaphilippe. I must say that when we were doing exercise tests, in the early days, sometimes we had a cyclist where after the tests I said, I don't understand. This guy is doing a test with these results and then he's racing okay. two weeks after. I don't understand. What he's doing in the race is not compatible with the values I see in the lab. That has happened. Today, it never happens anymore. What I see the riders of our team doing is entirely compatible with what we see In the lab. And of course you have intelligent riders and riders that are extremely good in their behavior in the race and they smell when they have to be there, and others who cannot do it, that makes a difference. But in terms of physiology, I think the performances I am seeing with the riders I am working are human.
2: Well, I think you pointed out something really interesting, Peter, in terms of the evolution and how it's changed since that, you know, what we would consider like the dark period of cycling and you pointing out that the riders are doing far less races and they do have those allotted times during the year to do their altitude camps and to kind of mentally and physically reset.
3: Yeah. And sometimes it, it makes me even angry when you, you hear journalists judging the performances of these superhumans. Suggesting that probably something is happening, I think it's unfair.
0: Peter, are you currently conducting research on other potential applications for ketone use?
3: No, not at the moment, because my opinion is a little bit that the most interesting findings very often are the original findings that are seminal for further research and yes, the findings with erythropoietin and overtraining and the bicarbonates and dopamine and mental alertness. And of course, we will do some follow-up research, but I don't expect that in the years to come, there will be new major breakthroughs. The research that will be coming will be more like fine-tuning and because, and that's a bad thing, None of the companies making big money with the sales of the ketone monoesters is investing big money in research. And I am not going to invest research money from taxpayers to make these companies even more rich.
1: Have you heard that your gut is the gateway to good health? If you're an endurance athlete, gut health is even more important as the GI system directly impacts athletic performance. Did you know that the weather, stress levels, and the size of your small intestine can affect your unique fueling requirements? Dr. Alan Lim, sports scientist and founder of sports nutrition company Scratch Labs, joins the Fast Talk Fem podcast to discuss the vital role the gut plays in performance. This is a must-listen episode. Check out the Fast Talk Fem podcast with guest Dr. Alan Lim at FastTalkLabs.com.
0: Peter, based on the research that you've done, your experience with the teams and athletes that you've worked with, if you could give three pieces of advice to an endurance athlete who wants to experiment with ketone supplementation, what would they be?
3: Oh, it's a difficult question because in this uh, throughout this talk, we have really been narrowing the window for the use uh, during extremely high training volumes, which most recreational athletes don't do. So I would recommend that most recreational cyclists who are serious recreational cyclists who are training quite a lot, they also go on a type of training camps or cycling holidays where they go for two weeks riding in the Alps or in Colorado and doing a lot of hard work on the bike. I think that's the right moment to try it. But then you will need to invest quite a lot of money because it makes no sense When you go on a two-week training camp or cycling holiday where you will bike, maybe not every day, but 12 days of 14 or 11 days of the 14, to use it on day one, day five, and day eight, it's not going to help. So you have to use it after each ride and before going to sleep. So you will need 20, 25 doses, which will cost you a lot of money. But this may be the only meaningful way to try it out. If you are an ultra-endurance athlete and you have experienced mental fatigue at the end of races and decrease of mental alertness and reaction times that are very important, especially in trail running, I would recommend that at the time when you anticipate in a race that the mental decrease will start to develop, to start using the ketone est. If you are used to do 24-hour races and you know after 16 hours, I feel my mental alertness is starting to drop. I'm getting less efficient to try start using the ketone ester at that time.
0: That's really good advice. Thank you.
2: You know, Peter, I was just thinking as you're talking about that, I trained a team for Race Across America, and that hallucination is such a tough or challenging part of that race.
3: Based on what the observations we have, I think ingestion of ketone ester might be an intervention to at least reduce the hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Because the hallucinations occur due to energy deficiency in the brain. Mm. And the ketone ester is the ideal supplement to maybe counteract this type of handicapping events during these races.
2: Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor. I thank you so much for taking time to join us today.
0: Yeah, thank you, Peter.
3: It was my pleasure. I hope you and your audience have got some messages that may be useful in for application of maybe ketones, but even more training and if improvement of endurance performance at the recreational level and in, in the sake of obtaining a better health.
2: Well, I think you really helped us, as you said, clear up the jungle.
3: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much.
3: Bye-bye.
0: That was another
3: episode of Fast
0: Talk Fam. Subscribe to Fast Talk Fam wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk Fem are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback and any thoughts you have on topics or guests that may be of interest for you. Get in touch via social. You can find Fast Talk Labs on Twitter and Instagram at Fast Talk Labs, where you'll also find all of our episodes. You can also check them out on the web at fasttalklabs.com. For Dr. Peter Haspel and Julie Young, I'm Didi Dee Dee Berry. Thank you for listening.